Let's read uh, Amos chapter 4, uh, verses uh, uh, 6 through 13. Certainly, I think we can uh, cover most of this, uh, this this morning. Uh, Amos chapter 4, verse 6. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return to me, uh, declares the Lord or declares Yahweh. I also withheld the rain from you when yet there were three months to the harvest. I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city, something we can think about because of the events of this week. One field would have rain and the field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, declares Yahweh. I struck you with blight and mildew, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locust devoured, yet you did not return to me, declares Yahweh. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword and carried away your horses, and I made a stench of your camp go up in your nostrils, yet you did not return to me, declares Yahweh. I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning, or a burning stick. You were as a brand plucked out of the burning, yet you did not return to me, declares Yahweh. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, or Yahweh, the God of hosts, is his name. So we looked into chapter 4 uh, last week. Uh, it was an exhortation against the uh, women that uh, Amos calls the cows of Bashan. He gave their characteristic uh, sins of seeking pleasure, oppressing the poor, crushing the needy. And then the graphic punishment that was predicted we looked at. Uh, God swore, he says, in uh, verse 2 and 3, uh, by his holiness. And you cannot swear by anything higher than God's holiness. God's holiness uh, produces or should produce a reaction uh, in us. And uh, I'd like us to just remember Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, this really was a vision. He sees the Lord high and lifted up. Uh, the angels are there, and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. We mentioned last week, Isaiah's um, uh, book is, is, is full of the Lord of hosts. He's, he's trying to show you God's in control uh, of everything. Uh, but the thing that uh, Isaiah reacts is his own sin and his people's sin. And God's holiness brings that out. And uh, there's another passage that I would like us to think about. Uh, Jesus was preaching, it's in Luke chapter 5, and there were boats that were available. And he went out into the boats and uh, preached and then dismissed the multitude and told Peter, well, let's go out and fish. And Peter said, we labored all night and we didn't catch a thing. And this fishing was different. Uh, I, I like to fish, but I don't fish with a net. Uh, I, I fish with a lure. And, and if you don't catch anything, you could say, well, uh, I have the wrong lure. Uh, I'm using the wrong lure. The fish aren't biting. 
But if you have a net, uh, it really increases your chances, doesn't it? So here, here's this experienced fisherman. He knows, he knows we're not using the wrong bait. We have a net. And they cast it out and they can't even put the fish in one boat. They have to call for other people to get another boat. And both boats are so full that they're starting to sink. And what's Peter's reaction? Wow, that's a lot of fish. No, he says, he bends down to Jesus' feet, his knees, and he says, depart from me because I'm a sinful man. He knew that Christ was God because of what he did. And I submit to you that, that that's what God is also doing in Amos. He's not saying, come to the throne room and acknowledge that I'm God because angels are saying, holy, holy, holy. He, he says in this chapter, he says, I made man. I created the dawn. I know what's in your mind. I know your thoughts. So we have to understand that we don't need big, big special visions. We could see God in action every day. And, and that's what he's doing. He's declaring to the people, this is who I am. I'm declaring this out of my holiness. And you should see your sinfulness because I'm in control of everything. We've mentioned it a number of times in the reading. It comes out, declares Yahweh, declares Yahweh, declares Yahweh. And that name in itself is very rich. What is God going to do? He declares himself Yahweh. He tells Moses, you tell him Yahweh sent you. Well, who's that? He's the deliverer of his people, and he could do 10 things that nobody else could do. Every plague came because he controls everything. And how, how does the firstborn of every person in Egypt die? Because God knows every person. How can just blood on the, a door stop the angel of death? Because God knows every person, every individual. So when, when God comes and talks about his holiness, in, in, a, sense, in a sense, we should, we should recognize it. We pour everything of God's character into it. Not just holiness, but other attributes uh, that he'll talk about. In verse 2, he says, Behold, take note, uh, days are coming, future events are assured. And we uh, talked about that last week. The prophet speaks now, but he tells about the future. And the future is God's future because God told the prophet, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, there... Uh, idolatry was increasing and he says the walls are going to be broken you're not going to go out in the gate of the city you're going to go out where they smashed the wall down where they broke down your protection that's where you're going to go out and uh, he tells them they'll just be cast out but then there's a, a one writer says a bitterly sarcastic section uh, about the idolatry in verses four and five, uh, we're familiar with Isaiah chapter one, where God says, go ahead, offer all your stuff. But I, I think it stinks. Your offerings are an abomination. But notice, he says, come to Bethel and transgress to Gilgal and multiply transgressions. You say, well, God never tells people to multiply their sin. Yes, he does. Keep, keep living the way you're living he could say to any of us, and, and your sins are going to increase. Bring your sacrifices every morning. He even has a time frame for their false worship. 
and your tithes every three, three days. You remember Jeroboam made up the schedule of the false worship. Come on, bring your tithes three days. Offer a thanksgiving, a sacrifice that's leavened. Proclaim free will offerings, offerings, publish them. You remember the, the Pharisees, they loved to publish um, fasting today so that they'd have this sad face or they, they'd broaden their phylacteries. They had these little prayer things. They'd have prayers in them or they'd pray in public places or they'd say, look, I'm glad I'm not like these two guys in the first row. It was published. Their false worship was published. Look at me, how religious I am. Look at me. I go to Gilgal. I go to Bethel. I go and sacrifice and worship all the time. But, but they lived a, a different way. And then he says, For so you love to do. You love your false religion. O people of Israel, declares uh, Yahweh God. But then God takes action against the, the false worship. He punishes them uh, by this section, and it's marked by the repetition. It's marked by the repetition of, I did this, declares Yahweh, and you did not return to me. Uh, so uh, this is just another one of those poetic sections, but, but it's marked. It, it, it's easy to understand, isn't it? Repetition is easy to understand. It, it helps us to to process the information. The first thing, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return. So I cut off the food supply. Cleanness of teeth means that you didn't even have enough food to get stuck between your teeth. Declares Yahweh. I withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. So here's the timing. Here's the timing. It's the worst time. It's the worst time for there not to be rain when the stuff is growing. Three months before the harvest. It's the worst time. What else? I would send rain on one city and no rain on another city. And we, and we saw it this week, didn't we? Sadly, there's peoples whose lives were changed totally upside down. And, and yet they watched the course of that storm and it went exactly where God ordained. It went exactly in the path that he chose. The, the models and the images had nine different paths or six different paths or eight different paths. God knew there was only one path. And you say that humbles me because I could be standing on my side walk looking at a house that's not a house anymore. But that's what God did. You did not return to me. Five times he says that. Five times he says, declares Yahweh, declares Yahweh. He sent uh, the, the rain changed all over the place. One field would have rain in the field on which it did not, the, would wither up. And we've seen that, haven't we? Oh, it was strange. It, it was it, it was raining on the other side of the street and not on my side of the street. We, we've seen that. But, but that's God controlling the weather. Here, he controlled it because of, uh, of their sin. Pestilence came and defeat in battle, blight, mildew, locusts. That's verse 9, verse 10. The defeat in battle. Hard punishments. And then they, they barely escaped. So the picture is, here's, these, here's this wood in a campfire 
and everything's burning. And if you let the whole thing burn, everything's going to burn. And all that God did to save people was reach in and he took one stick, but it was a brand that was plucked from the burning. It still was burning. You know how, you know how that is. You take a stick out, it's going to burn. And, and that's what he's saying. You were like, the, the picture is in uh, Zechariah 3, verses 1 through 5. It says that he was the brand plucked from the burning. But there, it's about, it's about his sin. The devil is standing there to, to accuse the high priest of sin. And God forgives him and says, give him another robe. And, and, and Zechariah says, isn't he like a brand plucked from the burning? That God should forgive somebody their sins. Some people, some people even in that, they were saved. But they were still in, on the fire. They were still under the fire. They barely survive. They're not completely consumed. But then all these pronouncements, if you remember, are fulfillments of Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. We started with that because, because everything that happens, he said already. Uh, the, end of, uh, the end of verse 11 declares Yahweh. And then verse 12 is the shift. Here comes the full-on punishment. The, the, warnings, the warnings were not heeded. But you did not return. But you did not return to me. But you did not return to me. That's repeated five times. But then comes in verse 12, a cryptic double threat. You read it and you say, well, is there some problem with the text there? Because God says, this is what I'll do to you. This is what I'll do to you. He says it twice. But, but what does it do? It begs the question, what is going to happen next? He just said, I did all these things. And then he says, therefore, thus will I do to you, O Israel. He mentions Israel twice, because I will do this to you. Do what? Well, that's ominous, isn't it? It's cryptic. He says, I, I, I've let the prophets know what I'm going to do, and that's what I'm telling you. And now he says, I'm going to do something. Well, what are you going to do? Right? If I, if I say Monday... Monday, I got stuff on my list. I'm going to do stuff. You would say, well, well, what are you going to do? And, and, that's what it, and that's what it prompts. Because I will do this. And then he says, prepare to meet your God in a more intense way, face to face. And, and we just saw, he said, he's going to do all of this out of his holiness. Well, how... How do I prepare to meet my God? What do I have to do? See, this is, this is full on. I did all these things. You didn't budge. You didn't return to me. Now prepare to meet your God. It, it's it's escalating the whole thing. Face to face in a more intense way. Psalm 90 verse 11. Who considers the power of your anger? That's the, that's the question. Who considers the power of God's anger? Sometimes people in our day, you would think, you would think they don't think God would be angry at anything. He's a loving God. Right. Takes it easy on people. Well, there is abundant mercy. There's so much mercy in God we can't even conceive. But who considers the power of God's anger and your wrath according to the to the fear of you? Who who considers it on the 
on the level of God's holiness and man's sinfulness. Who, who considers that chart? It, this is vast. It's incomprehensible. It's like all of the other attributes God's been talking about them. The former punishments God brought, but, but they did not return it, and, and now they'll meet their God. You can prepare by repenting and turning. You can turn back to God in sorrow for sin and resolution, and you can turn with resolution uh, to obey. But you also uh, can prepare by ignoring all the warnings. That's the danger. Prepare to meet your God. What's, you know, uh, I was reading in Genesis, uh, and Lot had uh, sons-in-laws. They were, uh, they were evidently not in his house yet, but he said, uh, it's time to leave. This whole place is going to be destroyed. It says they, they thought that uh, he was just uh, out of his mind. They, they thought he didn't know what he was talking about. Our generation, if you told them Jesus is coming back in judgment, what would people say? Oh, he hasn't come back yet. We haven't seen anything. Right? Second Peter, oh, he's delayed his promise. Prepare to meet your God. They met God when their cities were destroyed. Many were killed and they were taken into exile. And then they said, then it was too late. Uh, prepare to meet your God. Well, God who? Prepare to meet your God. Those who make a God out of science that God created. Well, we'll flip it around and make science the God and we'll dictate to God. Get ready to meet God, if that's your view. If, if you don't want his commandments or you don't want anything about God around, well, get ready to meet him. If you want to change the definitions of human sexuality, prepare to meet your God. If you want to say that marriage is bunk and it doesn't work, prepare to meet your God. If you want to just live for today and say, you just live and die and that's it, six feet under, prepare to meet your God. If you're just going to live in sensual pleasure, prepare to meet your God. Well, people say, well, wait a minute. We're in the majority. We're in the majority but Jesus knew that they would be in the majority the whole time. He said, the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Yeah. Nobody in their right mind would drive on a road. Well, I can't say that maybe. Nobody in their right mind would drive on a road and, and they would say, destruction right ahead. Destruction imminent right ahead. 500 feet to destruction. Who would do that? But if you tell them, yes, you're in the majority, but Jesus knew it already. He predicted it already. He knew that it was easy to go that way and destruction would be that. And those who enter by it are many. And those who don't are few. We're in the majority. Yeah, but that's the majority goes to destruction. It's, it's already predicted. Uh, prepare to meet your God. We need to tell people that there's salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that these issues can be resolved, but only by the repentance and taking away of your sin. That's the only way. And they would scoff at that way too, just like Lot's uh, sons-in-laws. Oh, Jesus died on the cross. What are you talking about? But that's the only way. 
prepare to meet your God with no sacrifice. Prepare to meet your God and just try to come up with some ethic at the last minute. Well, I'm not as bad as other people. Have you broken God's law? Well, sure. Have you sinned against God Almighty? Have you sinned against Yahweh? You're not as bad as other people, but have you sinned? Have you broken God's law? Yes. Prepare to meet your God. And then God declares who he is in verse 13. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind. That's all the evidence that we need. That's all the evidence the disciples needed in the boat. In Mark chapter 4, it says there was a great storm, a mega storm. And they, and they thought they were going to die. This was the worst storm in their minds that they ever saw. They, they, they went to him and said, don't, don't you care that we're all going to die? We've been in storms before, but we're not getting out of this one. That's what they thought. And Jesus rises and he, he comes. And then it says... Mega calm, great calm. And you know water, that's impossible. You can't stir up water and then just say to it, okay, stop. You can't throw a rock into the middle of a pond and then say, okay, ripples, stop. They will go from wherever the stone dropped all the way as far as the, the pond is. And he said, stop. And there was a great calm, a calm that was unbelievably contrasted to, to the storm, which they thought would kill them. But look at what he says. He forms the mountains, creates the wind. The, uh, there's a verse in uh, Jeremiah 51. It says, the wind comes from God's storehouses. I was studying that tr trembling this week, thinking about it this week. My house is going to be affected by the wind. I don't know. I don't know the power of it. I don't know how many MPH the wind, uh, the wind is going to have. I don't know if I should put up my storm shutters or not. I'm not sure. But what I was sure about is every MPH of that wind was coming by God's divine plan. Because it comes, Jeremiah says, from his storehouses. Am I going to lose a tree? Am I going to lose this? What's going to happen from his storehouses? Job 38, uh, 4, 4 to 11. God begins to, to talk to Job. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. You see, we can't. How does somebody create something out of nothing? Explain that to me. I can't. Only God can do it. Only he can reveal it. And I have to believe it. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? He uses the picture of a building. He says, who sized it up? Who used the plumb line? But he's talking about the universe. Who shut in the sea with the doors and burst out? Who, when I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for the sea uh, bars and doors? Boy, that ocean is beautiful to go to. Absolutely beautiful, isn't it? 
but I saw a slow motion thing of the storm surge that came across and that street in the, in the slow motion thing had some water on it and then there was four or five feet of water on it because God says the, the, bars, are, the bars are broken. Usually the waves only go here. I'm going to make the waves go someplace else. That's what he says to Job. He declares to man what his thoughts are. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6. David says, if I'm over here, you know where I am. If I go over here, you know where I am. If I sit down, you know it. If I lie down, you know it. He knows our thoughts. He, he knows what we're thinking about. He knew Israel's reaction to the preaching. He knew Israel's reaction to the judgments. He knows your heart. He knows what's going on in your, in your mind now as you hear the preaching in the morning and the evening. He knows internally what's going on. Are you receiving or are you rejecting? Are you indifferent? He knows it. The next thing he says, makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth. And this is a, a, a beautiful uh, thing. He treads on the high places of the earth. He's the creator. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. Now God says, I'm above everything. Now, in the scriptures, there are places that are called high places that are places of false worship. And, and I think we'll look at one passage that we could say, yeah, that's what God's talking about. He's treading down false religion. But there's other passages we'll look at that, that really show that being put in a high place is a place of protection and safety. And for God's people, it's God putting them where he is on the high places. So several texts are worth looking. The high places are symbolic. So in other words, you can't say, where is the high place that God rides on? Not a location. Where is it? But it's a picture of spiritual blessing and all of God's power. And only he can, uh, only he can give it. He controls it. And so we'll look at uh, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32. Uh, a little background is this is Moses' uh, farewell and explaining to Israel uh, what God did. Uh, 9, uh, 9 to 14, we could read much more. But the Lord's portion is his people, uh, Jacob his allotted heritage, right? So that's Jacob. Uh, the name Jacob used for all God's people. He found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. So God found his people out in the middle of nowhere. He set, he set his love on them. We, we learned about that. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them up on its pinions. You see, it's symbolic. God didn't really come down any time as a giant eagle and take Israel up in his, his wings. It's all symbolic. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign God was with him. He made him ride on the high places of the land. It's spiritual, spiritual protection, spiritual blessing. And he ate of the produce of the field and he suckled him with honey out of a rock. You can't get honey out of a rock. That's a, that's a, it's a picture that when God said Canaan is going to be a special place, that's how special it was. Because he controls how much produce comes out. 
If I have 10,000 bees, it's still up to God of how much honey I'm going to get out of those bees. And oil out of a flinty rock. You, you can't get oil out of a flinty rock. But God can control anything that he wants to control. Curds from the herd and milk from the flock. Uh, fat of the lambs, rams of Bashan and goats. Now there's a, an interesting reference because you remember he called, the, he called the women cows of Bashan. Well, Bashan was known even back in that ancient time for all the sheep and all the flocks and all the cows and everything. It was prosperous. But you see the picture. But he took those people and notice he made him to ride on the high places of the land. God put his people in a special place. He comes down and treads on the high places of the earth. And this passage says he put his people in the high places of the earth. All these pictures and symbols of God's protection. And then in Micah chapter 1 and verse 3, God says, For behold, Yahweh is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. So from an exalted position, he says, I'm coming out of my place. Well, where is his place? Well, it's adapted for us, isn't it? He's, he's, he's coming out. He's coming out of heaven. He's coming out of glory. And he's going to come on earth and, and, and do something. Now, in, in Micah, God comes down to execute his judgment and to punish idolatry. Micah 1 verses 5 talks about the high places of Judah, the, the physical high places of false worship. Some writers think, well, these high places, it must be, it must be Jerusalem and the temple. Uh, but I think it's just symbolic that it fits in with the symbolism. But one of the writers says the passage in uh, Micah has military, political, religious, and spiritual overtones because it, it's God coming from one place to another place uh, to, to do something, just like an army would come from one place to another place to do something. But God's work is not just military and political. I don't say, I want to invade this place to gain this territory. That's what men do, but God does it for religious reasons, for spiritual reasons. So he's warring against this sin, their policies and the wickedness that push, help push him out of people's lives. Isaiah chapter 58 and, and verse 14. Uh, in the context, that he's speaking about the, the Sabbath, that they should separate themselves on the Sabbath from doing certain things. And it's an if-then passage. Isaiah 58, he says, If you do this on the Lord's day, then I'll do this. And, and verse 14 is one of the then parts. Then you shall take delight in the Lord. That, that's what God wants, isn't it? And that's what we should want. What is he trying to get these people to do? Recognize that I took care of you. Recognize that I control all the food. I control the rain. I control everything. And that could be a blessing or a curse. And if you respond to God the right way, then you'll delight in the Lord. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. That's the way it's supposed to be. I delight in God more than anything else. I see everything that God has done. And even though I'm a sinner, I see his mercy, his grace, etc., etc. Then you shall take delight in the, in the Lord and I will make you. Once again, God is the one who makes. I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. 
Now, now what did they do? What vehicle did God use? Did they have a lot of mules around that they got on them and rode? No, it's, it's a symbolic picture. God comes down and he treads and rides in the high places of the earth and he puts people in that sp specific place. I'll cause you to ride on the high places of the earth and I'll feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. And that goes right back to Deuteronomy 32. What was Jacob's heritage? Fellowship with God. And, and uh, he told Jacob and Jacob asked God, he says, I'll serve you. You be with me and I'll be with you. And that's what God said, that you got it. You serve me and I'll serve you and I'll take care of you. That's it. And you say, wow, I delight in the Lord. He takes care of me. That, that's the idea. What's, what's the heritage? I give up some things on the Lord's day. What do I get? I get spiritual blessing. How do I improve the Lord's day? I separate myself. I, I say, God, I don't have anything that I delight more in you. I want to hear your word and I want to do your will. That's what he's trying to drive at these people. And he says, all right, if you do that, then I'll bless you. I'll not only put you in a special place of blessing and protection, but I'll feed you with a spiritual heritage of Jacob, your father. All those promises. And God goes back and says, remember the covenant? Remember the promises I made? We, we saw that dozens of times in the other prophecies. Go back to what I did. Go back to the proof. I delivered you. I redeemed you out of Egypt. Go back to the proof. And then you say, wow, there's no doubt the Lord's, the Lord's with his people. Then you will take delight in the Lord. That's the correct, that's the correct thing. But it's symbolic. There's not a place where you get on and a conductor says, all aboard, we're going to the high places of the earth. No, it's, it's a spiritual picture. He provides a place. Some writers, uh, I think, hit the nail on the head. They said, thus the same phrase is used of God's people, elevated by God above every other human, elevated by God above every other human height. Even as God himself treads on the high places of the earth. So, so that's what I think the picture is. God says, I'm in the high places of the earth, and that's where you can come. You can have fellowship with me. And then you're above all the stuff that's going on down here. All the sin, all the sorrow, everything else. You can delight in me and have fellowship with me. The end of Habakkuk 3 uh, is uh, very poetic. You know the it starts with, though the fig tree doesn't do this, and there's no cattle in the stall. But, but it's sad, though. It's called the Shigionath. It's a sad song. Because that's really what happened. There really was nothing left. Habakkuk struggled with that. He said, how can God judge with Chaldeans, with wicked men, with evil people? How can God come in judgment? And that would not relent until there wasn't anything around. There was no crops. There was no cattle in the stall. There was nothing except devastation. And then, and then he says, Yahweh is my strength. He makes my feet like deer's feet and makes me tread on the high place. It sounds so nice. It sounds so po poetic. People will say, oh, that's my favorite verse. Yeah, but, but what's right there in front of you is the devastation of God's judgment because they, they didn't listen. He makes my feet like deer's feet. Uh, deer's hooves are made specifically by God, and they can do things with those hooves that no other creature can do. 
they have power in, in, in legs that you would say, look at those skinny legs. But a deer can stand next to a fence and jump seven feet over the fence. They can climb on things like go up trees. They can do things with their hooves. God made it that way. So here's the picture that Habakkuk says. You make my deer's feet, my feet like deer's specially designed. I'll get out of danger. I'll be away. And he says he makes me tread on my high place. Think about that. Well, where's the high places? Well, I don't know. God came from him. He says there's people there, but we can have one. Now, this isn't like people say, oh, when I have trouble, I just go to my happy place. It's not like that. This is spiritual blessing, isn't it? This is real spiritual blessing from God. He makes me tread on my high place. You can think of Psalm 23. It's the same thing. It's all a symbol of what God does. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I never did that. Right? Leads me in a pasture. Does this, does that. When did David ever get led in a pasture? No, he's talking of all the symbols of God's care. But, but that's what it is. God lifts up the souls of his people symbolically, calls them to be blessed and protected. In Amos... Uh, the attributes of God are displayed. He is above everything on the earth. And he says, I'm coming out of there because that's where I'm from. They, they're, not, they're not from there. But that's where I come from. I'm underscoring it to you. Prepare to meet your God. I create things. I declare the man's thoughts. I make morning. I make night. And I tread on the heights of the earth. And then... He underscores it by underscoring his names again. Look at the end of verse 13. We'll, we'll end with this. Yahweh, the God of hosts, is his name. And, and this is mercy, isn't it? Because he keeps coming back and saying, I'm God. I'm God. I'm speaking to you as God. I'm speaking to you as Yahweh. There's no doubt in what I'm going to say. There's no questioning there's nothing our our generation turns away from god but you you can't get more vast you can't get more higher it, the vision can't be more sure the things that are happening can't be more without a doubt because he says i'm yahweh the god of hosts and and that's who i am that's his name that's who's doing this uh, nowadays we have opinions coming from every place. Oh, some actor, some actor says, oh, blah, 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 so-and-so and so. People should do this and do that. And then for weeks you could hear, oh, didn't you hear what this actor said? Or some sports figure. Right? Well, I was an MVP two seasons, so now I can talk and tell people what they should do with their lives. And they say, oh, I think this, I think that. Or you have these women on talk shows. Oh, we give our opinions about everything. I think this and I think that. Oh, you, did you hear what they said this morning on that talk show? And that's all you have. 
That's all you have. But our generation, we need to know it's God who speaks. It's God's will that's right. Not the opinion of a sports star, or a movie star, or a bunch of women on a talk show. That's not going to happen. Those opinions ultimately will not count. And we have to have that ringing in our minds. Prepare to meet your God. Because whether saved or unsaved, we're all going to see him. And, and today... One of the things we have to make sure is, do I have a portion in the salvation that's offered in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because his salvation, his atonement is absolutely perfect. And when you see holy, 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 and when you see a net full of fish that you can't explain, and you say, depart from me, a sinner, God says, no, I don't depart completely. I offer salvation. I offer salvation to sinners. I tell sinners, come. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Come. Oh, I have no money. In Isaiah, he says, money's not a problem. What I give is free. You can buy stuff for free. That's our salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bless your name for revealing yourself in this way. We have been constantly fascinated by our studies in the prophets, and we're constantly fascinated uh, by the way that you address people who have turned away from you. We ask you, Lord, that we would heed the sober warnings, that we would look to serve you. And even as we uh, started our uh, Sunday school with singing, uh, that we would constantly in our minds and hearts say, worthy is the Lamb. Amen.